We are wrapping up the Good Shepherd today, uh, finishing off Psalm 23. Hasn't it been an incredible ser- a, a series? It really, really has. I've enjoyed it so much. Um, between Jason and Tyrone, they really uh, made the psalm come to life for me. Um, to be honest with you, the, the way that I used to view this psalm, I don't know if any of you can remember this. Maybe this is only when I was younger. But it used to be quite common to have... Um, an embroidered piece of material in your kitchen or behind your bathroom door or in your living room of Psalm 23 with Jesus looking very white and holding a very small lamb, okay? Um, Anyone ever have one of those in their homes growing up? Okay, that is how I always saw um, Psalm 23. And to be honest with you, when I read the part about your enemies, I would always think, enemies like you would see in a thriller or a horror movie, because that was what I thought, okay, so if it's that obvious, those are my enemies, you know, I won't have to sort of guess who my enemies are, they'll come after me with a knife or something, so, so that is how I used to see it, but the reality is, is that um, David, I believe, shared this psalm with us because there is so much more to the psalm that he wants to get across, that he wanted us to know about God, is that, you know, the good shepherd isn't just someone who watches you off in a, uh, standing in a distance watching you. He actually um, has done so much for us. He cares so much about us. And that is what this psalm is all about. Well, to me anyway, now that I'm, I've, I've, I've sat under the ministry of hearing it unpacked, I just know that this is a psalm that I can really refer to and depend on when I am going through good times or difficult times. So before we get in, can I just uh, pray? Father, thank you so much that we get to open your word. We get to um, have your word come alive to us because we know, God, that your word is alive and well. And it's much better than any other thing that we could read or watch or see. Help us, God, to take it in today. Help us to lean in to hear what you want to say to each and every person. In Jesus' name, amen. So just to um, recap, if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week and you haven't listened to Jason's message, please do yourself a favor. He did such an amazing job of um, uh, showing Joseph's life in comparison to dark valleys and how Joseph still uh, knew that God was with him. He still felt God's presence. So I really want to encourage you Um, But just to actually read Psalm 23 from the beginning. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Now, that's what we've been doing up until now, verse 1 to 4. And before I read verses 5 and 6, what I want to encourage you is to take notice of the quite drastic change that Psalm 23 takes from verse 5 on. It says, You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. 
So there we see that from verse 4 to verse 5, David changes the direction of the psalm. We are seeing verse 1 and 4 all about a shepherd with his sheep and how the shepherd takes care of his sheep and how he will take him through um, the dark valleys and he will be with and he'll lead him to, to streams that are good for him and allow him to rest in green, med in green meadows. And he changes all of a sudden to directing our attention to a, a host who's offering a banquet, who's um, anointing David's head with oil. So he's changed completely from a shepherd to a host. Now, this doesn't change the, the, the actual deep meaning of this psalm. I think it's actually really good that he's showing two different scenarios of how the, um, you, know, you know, whether you refer to, to God as the shepherd or to a host, the bottom line is, is that he's wanting to take care of you. He's wanting to comfort you. He's wanting to protect you in the darkest valleys. He's wanting to lead you to streams that will refresh you. Just like the, the, the host is, is setting a feast before him. He's anointing him with, with oil. And so he switches to this image of a banquet. And um, we see in, in verse um, 2 where it says green meadows has now become a feast that God has set out, or some translations refer to a table. He sets a table before him. He sets a feast before him. So green meadows have become a table. And this just isn't any normal feast. This is a prepared feast, a well-thought-out, taken-care-of-every-detail feast. You know, he hasn't just slapped a couple of psalmies together on the table. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, this, but that isn't this feast, okay? This is a prepared feast. In verse 2, peaceful streams now becomes a cup, and not just a cup that is full, but a cup that is overflowing. And I don't know about you, but when I think of an overflowing cup, I think of those places that you can go to where you can get bottomless coffee for those coffee lovers out there, or bottomless soda. I don't know if Burger King still does that, or is that like ended now? Not that I ever go there, but you know. Um, but I know at one stage it used to be that you could sit there and go and fill up your, your soda all the time. So like it's, it's, it really is um, this image of this host saying, the feast, everything you can think of that will never add a calorie to your day, to your figure. Bottomless coffee for those coffee addicts. Just overflowing always. This is the, this is the picture that he's leaving us with in, from verse 5 onwards. And then he goes on and he talks about how um, this, this host is showing such amazing hospitality by anointing his head with oil. Now, this was a way that a host would um, honor his guests that he would invite to his home in the Middle Eastern biblical times. It was very important that there would be a certain, this was a custom that was expected. If you were hosting people for dinner at your, at your house, these are the things that would be expected. It would be expected that you would wash their feet because they would have come 
on a dusty road to get to you. Then you would have anointed their heads with oil, and that would have been to get rid of any dust or whatever from your hair, but also to refresh you, to help you feel better. And that oil would be mixed with perfume, and and it, it would have a great smell. And then he would be expected to take care of you while you are on his property, to make sure that you are protected, that you are safe while in his care. This is what was expected of you. So, David is referring to God as this host. Do you see where the psalm is going? He's actually telling us that God is like this host who not only needs to make sure that you're comfortable after you arrive from your long journey, but that you are protected while you are on his property. And um, I just want to unpack the first part of uh, verse 5 that says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, when I read that, I don't know about you, but I'm like, okay, God, that's great, but why can't you just get rid of my enemies? Why do you have to prepare a feast in the presence of my enemies? Can't you just like take them out or something? Like gone, you know, there they are, no more, no more enemies. But it says that he prepares um, this feast in the presence of my enemies. Now, the reality is, is that our lives are never going to be completely free of enemies as long as we are this side of heaven. As long as we are here in a broken world, we are going to face enemies. So God is not saying, I'm going to pull you out of that situation because then you're going to heaven. He's saying, I'm going to keep you there, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to feed you so that you have everything that you need to be in that situation and to grow through the situation. Do you realize that in Psalm 23, never does it say that David went through the darkest valley and out, and then God set the banquet. No, he is still in the dark valley when the banquet is set. In other words, when you're going through it, he is there. When you're going through it, he will not leave you. When you're going through it, he will provide for you. So, there are enemies that surround us. Now, some of the obvious enemies, when, when, I, when I thought about this, when I was preparing, I was like, okay, so God, what are our enemies? And the obvious things that come to my mind would be like crime, people who backstab you, lie about you, and situations that happen to you. But what about the ones that we don't necessarily identify as enemies? What about those ones? Insecurities, addictions, Believing lies about yourself, self-doubt, confusion, unexpected trouble that you didn't ask for, situations that you weren't planning on having, for example, the loss of a job, the end of a marriage. What about the interruptions to the plans that you have for your life that you didn't see coming? There's pressure, criticism, um, news that you didn't want to hear, envy, fear of failure, being a workaholic. You might be thinking, but how is being a workaholic an enemy? Well, what is a, a workaholic? Um, why, why are they a workaholic? Because they think that they're not enough 
and they need to do more to prove themselves. And so they work harder. And when you work harder and longer, you're away from your family more. You're away from the other purposes that God has for you. Okay? Um, impatience, being part of gossip, disagreements with, with people that you work with, the people in your family, stress, entitlement. All of these things are enemies that surround us. Can you relate to any of them? I know I can. I can relate to a lot of them. Because that is the reality of life. They surround us all the time. Now, God can't remove you from the situation because then you're going to go to heaven, right? So if he still wants you here, he still has a plan for you, okay? And God says that he's prepared a feast for you. The creator of the universe prepared a table just for you, just for you, if you let him be your shepherd. He, he can prepare a table for you, but if you don't want him to be your shepherd, there's no point to it. You can't, you, if you don't want to be in God's presence, if you haven't asked him to be the shepherd of your life, that table will just sit there in, without you at it. So you have to actually let him be your shepherd. God needs to be and wants to be the center of your lives, the center of your situations. You need to put him right in the middle of whatever it is that you are going through. Good times, difficult times, whatever it might be, he needs to be in the center of your life and of your reality. So God sets this table, this amazing feast, and then you come and sit down, and then what does God do? He sits down with you. He doesn't say, hey, racer, here's a table, here's food, figure it out for yourself, I'm out of here. He doesn't do that. He sits down with you, and he comforts you, and he encourages you, and he feeds you with what you need in that moment. So, in the middle of all of this stuff going on, in the middle of all the, the enemies and in the middle of all the trouble that we're facing, he leaves you with an option. He's like, you don't have to do this alone. I actually want to be with you. I want to guide you. I want to take you to still waters. I want to allow you to lie in in green meadows and catch your breath and refresh and reevaluate and know that I'm with you. Now, as I said, lies surround us all the time, but what we need to ask ourselves is, are we focusing on the lies or are we focusing on God who is sitting at the table with us? Now, obviously, we all want to be able to say, oh, I'm focusing on God, but if you're going to be honest with yourself, you really need to think about that and, and ask yourself that question personally. Am I focusing on the lies? So in other words, God is sitting here with me, but am I while God's talking? And he's like, hey, Sue. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm completely focused on the lies. But it becomes more interesting than that. What if you actually invite the enemy to have a seat at the table with you? So now not only are the lies around you, but maybe you're inviting the enemy to sit at the table with you. 
Now, Louis Giglio, who wrote a book called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, talks about five lies that we easily believe and that we easily give into that affect us. And I want to just touch on these five lies very briefly. And, um, you know, maybe you'll relate to some of them and maybe these are things that in your time during the week you can think about and you can really give some, some thought to and go, okay, God, is this an area I need to work at? The first one is it's better at the other table. So here we have this table prepared for us, for us. So God knows you. He created you. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. So he has set this perfect table just for you. But what do we do? What's at that table? That looks much better than my table. I wish that I could have what they're having. Ooh, what's over there? That looks like a much better situation than what, than, than, than what I'm in. And we completely get into the, um, I'm sure you've all heard that saying, the grass is greener, right? The grass is greener syndrome, they call it, where we think the grass is always greener on the other side, or if we're going to relate it to this psalm, the grass is greener at the other table. But what makes the grass greener? The right amount of poo, okay? So what makes the grass greener is how much effort you put in to making that grass greener. And so we need to stop allowing ourselves to be distracted by the pressure of comparison, where we think somebody else's table is better, somebody else's grass is greener. Put the effort into your table, keep your focus on God, and you will realize that everything that is in front of you is all that you need. The second lie is that you're not good enough. Now, we have to be careful about this lie because the Bible does say that we need to be humble. But I think that there's a fine line between being humble and between, like, putting yourself down. Where I'm not good enough. I'm worthless. I've got no value to add. I'm pointless. You know, what can I bring? But the, the bottom line is, is that there's this saying that goes, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. So it's not thinking that you are worthless, it's thinking that you are exactly who you are meant to be, where you are meant to be, but maybe I just need to put this person first, or this situation first in this scenario. The I'm not enough song that we sing, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, was created in the pit of hell. And it's just there to distract us from what God has called us to do, from who he's called us to be, to the value that we bring to everyone around us. It's debilitating, it's paralyzing. And to be honest with you, it's actually suffocating. And the one thing I can guarantee you is that it did not come from the good shepherd's mouth. The third lie, you're not gonna make it. Okay, man, I don't know if I'm going to get through this season. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the season. That's a lie. Psalm 23 tells us, though, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Not even though I sit down and die in the darkest valley, though I walk. In other words, you keep going because you will make it through the season. If you're hearing that in your life, then the enemy is at your table and he's lying to you. The enemy is convincing you 
that you're going to stay in the season that you're in for the rest of your life, that you're never going to have breakthrough, and that is a lie. Number four, I'm surrounded and there is no way out. Okay, so you're surrounded by all of these enemies, addiction, insecurities, fighting, difficult relationships, whatever it is that's going on, or maybe it's your past, you know, I'm surrounded and there's no way out. God, I've, this is how I've always been. This is the, the, the deal that I've been given. I'm never going to be able to change. This is just who I am. No one's ever going to accept me. I'm never going to be able to change. That's a lie. Do you know when you start changing? When you allow God, the good shepherd, to change you. But it takes effort from your part to say, God, these are the things about me that need to change. And the thing is, is that the things that need to change very often are pointed out to you by people who love you and care about you and want the best for you. And we just get offended and we we don't like it and we don't want to hear it. So we put up a wall and we say, well, I'll never change. So what's the point? No, you can change but you've got to be willing to hear and you've got to be willing to go to God and say that um, even though it seems like there's no way out, I'm going to believe you, God, that there is. Then the fifth lie is that everyone is against me. When you believe the lie that everyone is against you, normally what that means is that you believe that everyone hates you or at least dislikes you. Your boss, your colleagues, your family, your children, the waitress that served you yesterday, your school teachers, your friends, you just believe that everyone hates you. This is the voice of fear-based paranoia that does never, ever come from the mouth of the Good Shepherd. He would never say that, and so therefore, you have to understand that you've probably allowed the enemy a seat at your table. Louis Giglio says, you don't win the battle of your mind by fighting against the lies of the enemy. You win the battle of your mind by filling your mind with the truths of God's word. And that's such an important um, statement to, to know. And that is why Jason will go on and on about how important it is for you to be with God, to spend time in his presence, in his word. How will you know what his word is if you don't spend time in his word? How will you know what the promises are, the truths are? How will you know? You need to spend time in his word. So earlier on when I said that sometimes we can invite the enemy to our table, I think very often we have a picture of the enemy being this like, horrific-looking, loud, in-your-face creature, right? Where he would slide up to your table and you would go like, hello, all right? But that is not the case at all. The enemy is subtle, probably good-looking, smartly dressed. Why wouldn't you want someone like that in your life? You know, they just speak the truth. So what would they do? They would slide up to your table and they would be like, Aaliyah, that boss of yours, you know, don't you think it's time you quit your job? You don't have to put up with their nonsense. 
Well, Ivan, okay, let me pick on Esmeralda this time. Esmeralda, sure, you put up with a lot in your marriage, hey? Guys, this is pretend now, okay? So we're all on the same page. Pretend. Okay, you all played pretend when you were kids. Okay, like, you know, the enemy would slide up next to Esmeralda and go, Esmeralda, it's been tough lately, hey? Don't you think you deserve better? It's been hard. It's, it's like, like, surely you can do better than Ivan. <laughs> but that's exactly what he does. Because maybe you are going through a little bit of a difficult time. So he takes a smidgen of the truth and he blows it up to be something that it's not. And then we believe it. And we say, yeah, you're right. I should quit my job when maybe that is exactly where God wants you to be because you're going to grow, you're going to develop into who he wants you to be, you're going to build character, you're going to learn how to work with difficult people, which never changes, except if you work for for us, of course. And it's just, you know what? They would not be experiencing the marriage that they have today if after one little fight they had just said, cheers, I'm out of here. Because it takes work and it takes recognizing the difference between God's voice and the enemy's voice. And the only way that you get to know that is when you spend time at the table, focused, eyes locked on the good shepherd. And when the devil goes, you go, nope, that's a lie. I'm focused on you, God. And the truth says... That if I just listen to you and I feed off what you are giving me, the feast at this table, even though I'm surrounded, you will comfort me, you will care for me, you will refresh me, you will restore me, and you will give me everything that I need. In Romans 8 verse 1 to 2 says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You have been set free by what Jesus has done for you. The power of sin has no hold on you when you allow the shepherd in. When you say, yes, please, I would really like to have a relationship with you. Jesus, show me what that looks like. Help me to see what that means If you are taking notes, please will you write this down? I am defined by his scars, not my scars. I am defined by his scars, not my scars. Are my scars real? Do my scars matter? Of course they do, but they don't define me. What defines me is what Jesus did for me on the cross and that he died for my sins, and he rose again, and he is seated beside the Father, and we do have his scars on our lives that has set us free from sin. And you know what's really important to also be aware of when you're sitting at this table, this feast, this banquet put before you? It's not about what's on the table. It never is about what's on the table. It's about who is at the table. We should be far less concerned about what is on the table, but who is at the table. Because Jesus is the one who paid the price to have the right to sit at our table. Nobody else did that. Only Jesus did it. He paid the price. He is the one that can sit at the table. 
The second part of Psalm 23 talks about um, anointing your head with oil. And as I mentioned earlier on, the host would do that on arrival, right? To refresh you and to anoint you. And this was obviously really important to Jesus, really important to God and really important to Jesus that we realize that this is how special we are to him. We are an esteemed guest in the kingdom of God. When we accept the shepherd's invitation, we are an esteemed guest. It bothered Jesus enough to mention it, and now it's in the Bible today. In Luke 7, verse 46, Jesus, well, in Luke 7, Jesus was invited to um, Simon the Pharisee's house for a meal. And he goes into the house and they sit down for the meal and a woman comes in and starts washing his feet with very expensive perfume and crying and, and, and cleaning his, his feet with her hair. Now, we might not understand that in today's context, but remember how important it was then that after a long time of traveling, your feet would be dusty, you know, you would, you would feel like you need a refresher before you eat. I don't know if any of you are like this, but I cannot sit down and eat if I've just come home from the shops without washing my hands. It's just impossible for me. Actually, I can't do anything without washing my hands after I get home. Now, you can imagine, they, they come from the Middle East, lots of dust and sand. So they would have wanted to feel refreshed. Anyway, Jesus says this to Simon. He says, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Because that was the custom then. That was how you were greeted as a very, very special guest. And that's how God treats you when he invites you to the table. He says, you're my esteemed guest. I died for you. Please come in. Please sit down. Please allow me the honor of speaking to you and letting you know that everything you're believing is a lie and that what I say is the truth. So how do we access the Psalm 23 kind of protection, goodness and mercy? Well, there's only one door and it's got nothing to do with luck, but it has everything to do with Jesus Christ. He's the door. That's how we access this kind of life. That's how we access the green meadows and the still waters and the feast and the anointing. We have to accept his invitation to us, and then it's there for us to partake in. I love the story about a famous actor who um, was a guest of honor at a social gathering and um, he was very eloquent and had obviously had a lovely speaking voice. And the guests asked him to please um, recite some well-known quotes from some, from some well-known books. So he, he did that and he, and he spoke so well and, and, and it was wonderful. And there was this preacher, this old preacher who happened to be invited to the same social gathering. And the, um, the preacher said to the actor, oh, wouldn't you also recite Psalm 23? So the actor said, well, Absolutely, but if you would also do it. 
so. The actor recited Psalm 23 and, you know, did a great job. His tone and pitch was perfect. He brought in the emphasis where he needed to, and he did a great job. And then um, I'm actually going to read this part to you. It says, the preacher's voice was rough and broken from many years of preaching, and his presentation was anything but polished. But when he finished, there was not a dry eye in the room. When someone asked the actor what made the difference, he replied, I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. Yo, when I read that, I was like, God, do I know you? Help me to see what I'm doing to shut you off. What parts of my life am I shutting you off from? What lies am I looking at and getting distracted by? Is the Lord your shepherd? And then verse 6 says, Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. What David is encouraging us there is that as he's going through the darkest valley, God's goodness and unfailing love will keep, will keep on after him, will follow him, will pursue him all the days of his life. We can also end off the psalm by reading it this way. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday, every high day, every low day, every good day, every bad day. Your love and goodness will pursue me. So the good shepherd is offering us an invitation. He would very much like to be your shepherd he wants to guide you. He wants to lead you. He wants to feed you. He wants to have an intimate relationship with you. He's inviting us. And as we go into this month of December, the great invitation is on the table. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is say, yes, I want that. I want that relationship. I want to imagine. I want to close my eyes and imagine me sitting at this beautiful table with God and, as, and, and him talking to me and encouraging me. And as I open my eyes, I still see my enemies, but they have no hold on me. They have no hold on me. Let's pray.